Listener Production. In this episode of The Briefing, Olympic swimming hero Kate Campbell opens up about the abuse and the threats that she's received. I've had people say that I'm full of shit, that I'm worthless, that I'm useless, that I should die or that I have blood on my hands. Yeah, it's unbelievable and I had no idea what Kate Campbell had been going through. She's telling her story to Katrina today because she's on a mission to find a solution to social media abuse, which statistics show is targeted at female athletes way more than men. That is our briefing after today's headlines with Antoinette Latouf. I'm Tom Tilley. It is Wednesday, the 19th of April. Big breaking news out of the US. Fox News has agreed on a last minute settlement in the defamation case with Dominion. Rupert Murdoch's news channel was being sued by Dominion Voting Systems for promotion of conspiracy theories about the so-called stolen 2020 presidential election. Then-President Donald Trump attacked the voting machine company, falsely claiming that it rigged the election to favour winner Joe Biden. The case was just about to go to trial, but at the very last second, the jury has been dismissed because the two parties have reached a settlement. Fox has had to pay $787 million, which is a lot of money, but it's less than half of what Dominion initially sued them for. Yeah, this is huge news. So this trial was going to create weeks of damaging Mm -hmm. headlines for Rupert Murdoch and his news channel. He was going to have to take the stand and it was seen to be one of the most interesting legal cases of the decade. Um, But now that's not going to happen. Peter Dutton, the opposition leader, has named Indigenous woman Jacinta Price as the coalition's new shadow minister for Indigenous affairs. Many Australians know Jacinta well. She's a fighter. She's a warrior for Indigenous Australians. Yeah, and she is an Indigenous Australian. She's a Walpuri woman from Alice Springs. Um, she's a very fiery opponent to The Voice. Um, and she only came into mm. the federal parliament last year and she steps into this role, Antoinette, of course, after the dramatic resignation from the shadow cabinet of Julian Lisa. Yep, and Jacinta Price is a country Liberal Party senator, so she sits within the National Party in federal parliament. But having her on the front bench actually exceeds the national quota. You know, that's the kind of agreement they have to, to form coalition. And Tom, interestingly, at the same time, Karen Andrews has quit the front bench, but unlike her peers, um, that recent Liberal exodus for her, she says it's not about the voice. But of course, backbenchers don't have to follow the same party policies as front benches. So I'll be watching closely to see how that unfolds and if anything changes for Karen Andrews. Well, she made an interesting point. Some polling has come out today showing the Liberals under Dutton are going backwards since the last election. Mm. And a lot of experienced commentators are saying this fight against the voice is not working for Peter Dutton. And Karen Andrews has said on the way out that they're be much better off focusing on economic issues like Mm. the cost of living. Job seeker payments have been deemed seriously inadequate in a new report. So a group appointed by the government to review income support payments found that these payments have shrunk over the past two decades. So they've gone from being in line with the average income of the poorest fifth of Australians to falling $140 a week below that, so the fortnightly job seeker payment for a single person with no children is currently $693.10 and the report says the payment should be increased to $874.35 which is around 90% 
of the age pension. Yeah, but I don't think the government's going to take that advice, mm. sadly. Um, basically, they're heading into a very tough budget where they're trying to save money and trying to move the budget further into the black. But everyone's doing a tough in this inflationary environment, especially those most vulnerable people um, whose payments aren't keeping up with inflation at this point. There were 37 other recommendations, but as you um, suggest, Tom, it, ha- it is expected that the government will reject the calls to increase job seeker. One of the other recommendations was for there to be a poverty index for us to have a, a better idea of just how many Australians live below the poverty line. And I don't know, I reckon in a nation as wealthy as ours, one of the richest in the world, we can drop billions on submarines. It's just not acceptable to have so many people, including children, um, living below the poverty line. And Buckingham Palace has announced one of the signature dishes for next month's coronation of King Charles, and they've gone with the quiche. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, look, to be fair, the Brits aren't known for having, you know, the best cooking in the world. Mm. Even their national dish is is a curry. It's it's not something that's traditionally British. They're not known, um, you know, like the Italians or the French for their cooking. Um, Some people have called the quiche an egg pie which is, you know, not very flattering. Um, I, th- I think part of the reason they've gone for this is that it's basically cheap to make yeah. and it kind of fits this tough economic period Brits are going through at the moment. Yep, it's being dubbed the cost of living quiche. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I reckon all anybody really wants to know is whether Megs and Harry are going to be offered a slice. Well, she'll have to cross the Atlantic if she wants a slice, I imagine. Mm. Um Harry will be able to eat as much quiche as he wants on his own. Look, to touch on that for a second, I do think it's really sad that their two children won't be there for this really mm-hmm. historic moment of quiche eating. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they needed to up the ante and have the draw car. I don't know. Tempt them a little more with, with something mm. a little tastier. But, um, yeah, it is sad. I, I'm with you there. All right. We'll catch you later. Katrina's about to bring you this really interesting interview with the amazing Olympic swimmer Kate Campbell. Hey guys, Katrina Blowers here with you with today's briefing on the online abuse of some of Australia's biggest female sporting stars. World Athletics recently found female athletes were the target of 87% of all online abuse during the Tokyo Olympics. That is wild. So this has sparked an Australian first study, and we'll be talking to the researcher behind that in just a moment. But first, we're joined by multiple Olympian Kate Campbell. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. How bad is the trolling problem for Aussie women in sport? I think that everyone has a different experience with online trolling, but I would say that every athlete will experience it at some point because no one is perfect. Things can be going really, really well, but it just takes one bad performance or one comment that might be taken out of context or one slightly controversial opinion. And that tide can change really quickly. And you can go from being ubiquitously loved to really hated by a lot of people. What have been some of the worst things that have been said to you? I now have a quite a strict rule for myself that I don't really read any comments, good or bad, but I've learned the hard way and I've had people say that I'm full of shit, that I'm worthless, that I'm useless, that I should die or that I have blood on my hands or 
that I don't know anything and I should shut up and just stick to swimming uh, because that's what I'm supposed to do or they could have done a better job. Honestly, the list goes on and on and on. And so I just learned not to read any of the comments, which then is really sad because I then don't often see some of the lovely comments that people write about me and I don't get to engage with my audience and and my fans as, as much as I could because I know that Personally, I really struggle to shut out uh, those negative comments that those are the things that kind of come back to haunt me when I'm lying in bed at night trying to get to sleep. Do you think it's worse for female athletes than it is for men? I think that the nature of the comments is more insidious and feels more threatening when it comes to comments directed at women. I've felt afraid for my safety. I had a a phone call at 1am the other night. The message said, if you don't pick up this phone, I'm going to rape you. And to hear the malice in that voice coming through on a message when I woke up and listened to it in the morning, it set my adrenaline going and my heart rate racing. And I know that I'm not alone in getting those phone calls or receiving those messages. So it feels a lot more threatening when it's directed at women. I know that men are often the target of some vile abuse and we've seen in the AFL and the NRL some horrendous racially uh, motivated abuse being flung at some athletes and that is reprehensible and needs to be stamped out. But I think that for women... The threat to our safety is really kind of what scares me with some of the comments that you see some female athletes receiving online. When it comes to the support in sport for, I guess, the psychological impact of this, and I'm imagining too, particularly if you're in the lead up to a big event and you're getting phone calls or messages or even people coming up to you in the street and saying these vile things to you, it would have a a huge impact on your mindset in the lead up to performing. What kind of support is there available for female athletes in particular, or is it more of a collegiate thing that you guys talk amongst yourselves and and boost each other up? I think a little bit of both is is really the best way to go about it. Um, All athletes have have access to sports psychologists and the Australian Institute of Sport has just launched a mental health helpline that athletes can access and and they can access sessions with psychologists and, and they can do that free of charge. And so it's about making athletes aware of these facilities, but then also empowering them to take them up because a lot of athletes may not be exposed to the level of scrutiny that they are going to come under at an Olympic Games very often because that only comes around once every four years. So you can trundle along and fly under the radar, but suddenly for that once every four years, you become the centre of a really gigantic media spotlight. So where to from here? What would you like to see happen? Would you like the social media companies to be held more accountable? Um, What would be the ultimate outcome for you? The ultimate outcome would be more accountability from people who are in charge, and that is social media companies and government legislation. I think at the moment we're in a little bit of a free-for-all. We're in a bit of a no-man's land. People aren't willing to stand up to these mega companies who essentially... 
they don't rule the world, but they help shape the way that we view the world. I know that my reality is very different to someone else's reality just because of the algorithm that I am being fed. And there needs to be more accountability from those big companies who are making billions and billions of dollars off of this. And we need governments to stand up and step up and hold these big companies accountable. Olympic swimmer Kate Campbell there. Now let's bring in Dr. Caitlin McGrain from Deakin University, who's just launched some Australian-first research into finding out just how widespread this issue is for female athletes. Dr. McGrain, thank you so much for joining us. Describe for us how big a problem this is for female athletes. That's actually such a good question because I think that what our research is aiming to find out is how big this problem is. And that is one of the major gaps in our knowledge is that we just don't understand what the prevalence of online abuse for women athletes is and how it impacts them. So that's what we're aiming to find out. Anecdotally, I think we hear a lot about female athletes. I mean, it's not just female athletes who are trolled online, but I feel as though the nature of the trolling and the abuse they receive is different from men. That's just my gut feeling though. What is it that you've found so far? So from other research in different areas of say public life, so say looking at women in the media, which you might be familiar with that kind of research, or women working in politics, anytime women achieve any kind of success in traditionally male-dominated fields, they can become then a target for gendered online abuse. And what is different about that abuse is that it is often based on their, obviously their gender identity or their gender expression. It's also intersectional. So it's often targeting multiple aspects of their identity of their subjectivity, of the way that they move through the world or how they're perceived in the world, right? So that's what makes it really different. And the threats as well can be much more, like I said earlier, like sexually violent. So that's the kind of the key difference is that many people who are in the public eye will receive online abuse and that's really something that needs to be tackled. What makes it different for women and gender diverse people as well is that it is sexually violent a lot of the time. How much of an impact is this having on women and women's ability to show up to have that public-facing roles that they need in order to, to earn an income? So what we're hoping to find in the research that I'm currently doing is what is the impact on women in sport or what what is the impact on people who have played in women's sport because not all of them will be women. Some of those people might be gender diverse um, or transgender. So we're looking at what are the what is the impact and what effect is that having? But previous work that I've done, particularly looking at politics, has shown that can actually damage our democracy because we're reducing the field of people who feel like they can step forward to be politicians, who can be in the public eye, because they can feel as though they are not thick skinned enough. Yes, I definitely know it. many people who've, who I've had those conversations with. So tell us a bit more about your research going forward. What stage are you at right now and, and do you need people to participate? Yes, we do. Yes. So we, our survey is currently open to current and former professional and elite athletes. So anyone who has played professional or elite women's sport 
whether now or previously is eligible to complete the survey. It's anonymous. And there is also the option to opt in for an interview. So what we're hoping is that from that pool of people who take part in the survey, that there will be a number of people who are willing to give us some more rich data, give us some more stories, tell us about any of their experiences in a bit more detail. And that's the stage that we're at at the moment is we're still looking for participants. Is this sort of a stage one? Have you got bigger plans for this research? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because this is the first survey of its kind that we know about in Australia. But there are all since we started that list of this research, there's also been several other kind of complementary studies that are also either underway or in those planning stages. So what we are thinking is that this is the first step in a much broader national conversation. And I think that's really important and really exciting because Australia is hosting the Women's World Cup in just a few months. The eyes of the world are going to be looking to Australia and how we treat women athletes. And I think that this is a really important time for us to demonstrate our leadership and demonstrate our research capabilities and skills in the way that we approach gendered online harassment and how we think about the solutions to it. That was Dr. Caitlin McGrain from Deakin University and what she just said about her research with female politicians and stepping away from forward-facing roles because they felt they didn't have a thick enough skin had particular resonance with me. I once walked away from a weekly column with a major Sydney newspaper because the online criticism that I was getting and really personally attacking comments just got to me so much that I thought, well, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. And it's since been one of the biggest regrets that I've had in my career. Having that conversation with Kate and with Caitlin just now has just made me feel so galvanised to see this change for other up-and-coming women or anyone who's finding it tough to navigate online abuse. So we're going to link to Dr Caitlin's research in our show notes. Uh, They're looking for any past or present female athletes to share their stories and I really encourage you to do so if this has affected you. Listener.